allegations or after he was president. These are allegations that took place while he was still president. How does that make that this inherently different? Well, it sounds different, and of course it is, substantively, but in terms of an impact on the law, probably not so much. And of course, for precedent, I guess if we let our minds drift back to uh, to the Watergate era, uh, when Richard Nixon was president, uh, it was alleged that he committed illegal acts as president, covering up the Watergate burglary uh, that he may or may not have, have approved. I don't think anybody's ever established evidence that he did order it. But then, uh, after he resigned the presidency, he was facing prosecution post presidency for stuff he did as president and the only way he was able to escape that fate was because his successor gerald ford of course pardoned him so uh, just because donald trump was president when this stuff happened it wouldn't be, provide you know get out of jail free card or immunity uh it, instead uh they they may proceed and prosecute him uh, and try to put him in jail royal how do you expect trump to challenge the indictment what will his defense be I think the essence of it is going to be, look, my lawyers told me that I was on solid ground with preparing an alternate slate of electors in various states uh, in case the courts said, yeah, Mr. President, you're right. Uh, He also is going to say, hey, Professor John Eastman, the constitutional law expert, and Rudy Giuliani, my lawyer who was heading up the team challenging the election results, they both told me it's legitimate. For me to urge Mike Pence, the vice president, to send the results back to the states because we felt we had legitimate beefs and objections. So to the extent he didn't really know that he'd lost and and if he if he really believed sincerely in the legitimacy of his position uh, as a non-lawyer, just reacting to his attorneys, two of them, at least two of them uh, telling him what to do. I think that will be the essence of his position. One problem for him is that he's probably going to continue to insist that, yes, he really won. And people aren't buying that. And I don't think the 12 people on the jury in Washington, D.C. will buy that, especially since people in Washington, D.C. voted for Biden over Trump by 92 percent to 5 percent. So it's an uphill battle for Trump. So really, it's a matter of his state of mind. If he can convince a jury that he wasn't a criminal, he was just trying to exhaust all his administrative remedies uh, and legal remedies, and he was relying on legal advice, that could be the core of his defense. ABC News legal analyst Royal Oaks is with us. So if convicted, he could face substantial time in prison. Based on what you know about the law, about his background, about the nature of the charges, is that probable that if he's convicted, he would spend time in prison? Well, it's a really tough question because we're in just such uncharted territory. A former president being accused of something, especially in the weirdest of all contexts, former, but he wants to be president again. And his opponent is the guy who uh, appointed the attorney general who arranged for the special counsel to go after him. Bottom line is when you see the 20 years for obstruction of, of official proceedings and five years for that as a practical matter, People don't get anything like that. Uh, they'll get a, a, a few years. And in Trump's situation with no prior record and so on, well, who knows what his record will be if he's convicted. In this case, uh, it's unlikely that he would do any serious time. But, of course, from Trump's perspective, you know, whether he's in prison one month or, or one year or five years, uh, the impact on his presidential ambitions and his life, it's going to be overwhelming and dramatic, uh, you know, whether he, he goes away for one year or for, for 20 years. Royal co-conspirators in this interference indictment What role do they have? What do we expect for the likes of Rudy Giuliani and others who are considered co-conspirators in these alleged allegations? 
Yeah, great question. It's really interesting that special counsel Jack Smith did not choose to name Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman, the law professor, by name. Instead, he named them as co-conspirator one and two. And we figured out from the, the facts alleged, we, we know pretty much what, what the Jack Smith thinks that they did wrong and whether they should be prosecuted. But they're not going to be prosecuted as of right now. And strategically, probably Smith does not want anybody sitting in defendant chairs in the courtroom with Trump because that would give the jury an option. They could look at the three defendants and say, well, I'm not so sure about Trump. But I know that Giuliani and Eastman led him astray and, and they committed crime. So we're going to convict them or we're going to let Trump off. That would not be a happy day for special counsel Jack Smith. So it's no surprise that he's not actually naming them. They're not going to be in the courtroom as co-defendants. Plus, he's got a chance to squeeze them. You know, you all, the strategy is you get the, the smaller fish to flip on the big fish. Um, Eastman is 63. Rudy is 79. Uh, prosecutor's going to look him in the eye and say, do you guys really want to spend the rest of your life in prison? Because that's what you're going to do when I prosecute you for your role in this. So why don't you just tell me the truth about what Donald Trump knew and tell me that he really knew that he had no leg to stand on. He was just trying to game the system, in which case we'll play ball with you. Donald Trump will go to prison and everybody will be happy except for Trump. So I'm curious, as these indictments continue to roll in, one of the arguments that they're having is over the timing of the trials. I'd like to know, how do they decide the order of who will hold the trial first and how that all works out? Do the jurisdictions work together? Is it in the order they were filed? How does that work? Well, to the extent uh, somebody uh, is charged first and then later second, third and fourth, then theoretically, the first one uh, is priority. Theoretically, the first judge would set an earlier trial date. And we've seen that. We've seen the Stormy Daniels trial set for next March. We've seen the Mar-a-Lago documents case set for May. And now probably we'll see this case uh, once the, the Trump pleads not guilty tomorrow. And then there'll be a scheduling hearing in a week or so. We'll, we'll have a new trial. We'll have a trial date. And it'll probably be a few months down the road. Now, there could be some jockeying. Because let's say one prosecutor or one judge is really eager to have that trial go first. Well, sometimes there's a conflict. If you've got multiple cases going, as Trump does, uh, something has to give and there has to be some flexibility. Uh, Trump's going to be asking for postponements in in all of these cases. He really wants the cases to be uh, tried after the election. He's hoping he will win. If he wins, he could pardon himself from federal offenses. Uh, If he wins, he could have his new attorney general try to get the cases dismissed. Wouldn't look great, but he could try to do that. So those are all of the factors in terms of uh, of the scheduling issues. But you're you're right. It could be really thorny and congested with at least three. And, of course, we're going to get another indictment out of Georgia, uh, virtually certain of that uh, in the next week or so. So now we're looking at four separate criminal trials on the horizon, you know, peppering the calendar next year, in addition to, of course, all of the primaries and the conventions and the election itself. So it's going to be a very busy 2024 for Donald Trump. ABC News legal analyst Royal Oaks. Thanks for the perspective, Royal.